Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Sunday Recap, the weekly edition of the Grace Bible Church podcast, where we talk about life and faith based off of our sermons past Sunday. For more recordings of our sermons, to catch some of our past podcasts, visit begrace.org slash podcast. For more information about Grace Bible Church, visit begrace.org. I'm Joey Cologne. I'm Chris Webster. Additionally, I'm Jim Wilson. Then I'm Dave McMurray. And I'm Kendrick Spiffs. Tell you people, you can't say anything with these people or everything turns into a joke. Last week I said, Eunice said, and I'm Eunice, and it sounded great. Let's do that again. So I was like, well, I'm blah, blah, blah. So, I follow the rules, Joey. I'm one of the I good know, people. Chris went so and Kendrick. Chris said, I want to do it, no. but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I started the rebellion. Oh, that's right. So good. Rebel leader one. Uh-huh. Well, this week's sermon is about obeying and about. I'm just kidding. Doing what you're told. <laughs> All right. Well, that's. Uh, yeah. I guess this is really the content people come for anyway. They come to see you guys joke, not to see me be serious. So I guess we could just stay on that. But this week we're in Daniel chapter 7. Dave's back from Memphis. Um. Back with us, we had Wesley Pope last week, which your notes say to thank him. Um, so, you can thank, thank you, him Wesley. as many times as you want. Yep, there you go. Thank, thank you again. again. Yeah. Wesley, if you're watching, that's the, the title of this podcast. We already got it. Right. <laughs> Daniel chapter 7, uh, your title was Don't Fear the Monsters. Your points were, I guess, because God is judge, because God is the answer, and because humanity is being renewed. But before we even get into the points, I was hoping we could talk about apocalyptic literature. I know when you did your preach ahead, you were like, I should talk more about it. But you were like struggling for time. So Mm. here's your shot. Apocalyptic literature. In your Mm. sermon, you said it's revealing literature. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, and you said it's valuable, mm-hmm. but you said it's valuable because all scripture is valuable. So I'm wondering if you have yeah. more reasons to talk about why it's valuable, what it means, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. I think the unique role that apocalyptic has played throughout, we would say, redemptive history is speaking to people in especially tense times. So the book of Revelation encouraging the saints who are being persecuted and beheaded and it uses like dramatic imagery um first time i really studied revelation in depth i came away with the feeling that it was like a almost like a music video you know it was just kind of like artistic and very visual and you have the same vibe with daniel so you know the the people of god are struggling and there are these visions that, that they're going to struggle more, but that God is ultimately conquering. So I think there's something unique in the way that like artistic or maybe we would just say unusual modes of communication uh, hurt uh, help people that are hurting or serve people that are hurting, if that makes sense. So, there, yeah, there's just something weird about it that kind of in our normal middle class life just seems odd and it seems weird. Um but it's maybe uh, maybe it's coming in a side door might be a way to say it. You know, it's like this weird artistic presentation. I don't know. I'd, I'd be kind of curious to hear what Kendrick and Chris think as as artists, like 
the the actual form of apocalyptic in the Bible might still be weird to y'all, but what would you say is does that fit like how art connects with people that are hurting or you know in strange situations? Yeah, for sure. I think um, we talked a little bit about this at small group, and uh, mm-hmm. so I think art often is we, we, you know <laughs> to oversimplify it. We talk about it. It it speaks to your heart. Mm-hmm. at least as much as your head. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so even, I think that's what, that was, what's interesting is, um, especially, I guess, in our tradition of church, we're very analytical. And so even the sermons, like you do such a great job of picking apart. But it's like, at some level, I was thinking, oh yeah, like what dreams do to you is they completely engulf you in this, this visceral experience of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not even that you're having, you don't, you don't have time to sit down and say, okay, let me pick apart every little piece of this and understand exactly what it means. You just experience mm-hmm. it. You just, it is, mm-hmm. you feel mm-hmm. it instantly. And so I was thinking through, wow, this is these strange layers. So he has this dream, then he writes it down then that's read to other people and then eventually it gets to us. And now we're preaching a sermon on the thing that was written down about the dream. And so, yeah, it is kind of, I think that's part of why it can be harder to digest. Amazing job. But yeah, I was thinking that like, Oh, you can't, it's hard to just recapture. Like you said, when you're, when you, when the dream is, is like making you feel these cultural metaphors, that almost have to be instinctive to really get the same experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, it's meant to talk to your heart. And so it can be a little bit confusing to try to really recapture that (laughs) thousands of years later and Mm -hmm. in a different completely time and place and culture and all that. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's fascinating to think what was that God's reason for doing it the way he did. And I, and like you said, I think it, it is to like, just feel hope. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> even more than just to co- cognitively like uh, look at the dictionary definition of hope or something. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Kendrick? Is that, <laughs> you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think it's uh, like from a musician artist standpoint, uh, I think even when I write, like when I write music, you can never really know what I'm fully writing about unless mm-hmm. I sort of tell you or unless you're, in my mind or in the room at the moment. So I can make a song about a car, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, a person will never understand, like, the depth of what went into the song, why I chose to write the song, those sorts of things. But I can reveal to you a little bit of, you know, like, here's what I want you to know from the song. So I think mm-hmm. apocalyptic <laughs> literature to me is more like this... I'm creating something that I, I want you to know. Here's a truth that I want to reveal to you. Um, it's it's weird. You never really know how deep it goes. You can get caught in this rabbit hole, this trail. But here's the message that I want you to know um, from this literature is this. But I think the beauty in it is the layers that are in it. And they're mm-hmm. constantly being peeled back, constantly being peeled back. Um and I also think, uh, lastly, I'm going to use those words now, additionally, <laughs> lastly. And? and <laughs> I think, uh, uh, lastly, when I think of it, I just really think of it. I had a music teacher that used to say, um, 
uh, even though we are in music class, writing things down in, in metaphors and similes is the microphone to your mind. It's, mm. uh, he used to say, the way you write something is the way that your heart wants to tell it, but it may not be the way uh, that you perceive it yourself or even uh, the overall message that, that you believe about the subject. Sounds confusing, but mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the way I view this apocalyptic literature here, too. Mm. Mm. Yeah. From an artist standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think sometimes we, f- we can feel a thing before we can analyze it. And vice versa. Sometimes we can analyze a thing and then we only feel it much later. You know, I think it's kind of like different different doorways into who we are, what we're thinking, what God wants to reveal to us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, what's weird to me, I think, as I've studied it more, is realizing it wasn't as weird to the first audience. You know, and I think that's my job is to try to reduce that distance it was still weird, I think, and it was still probably on the weird side of their different forms of communication even back then, but I want to reduce the weirdness of we're just totally foreign from their culture, so that adds extra weirdness, you know. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that was the goal. Mm-hmm. Well, and I have another thing before you actually started into your main points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You talked, oh, I have a couple still actually, Lots of notes on your introduction. I guess that's what happened when it's 20 minutes long, right? So, like a triple introduction. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you talked about the Antichrist or Antichrists, <laughs> plural, mm-hmm. yep, um, yep. saying there are many Antichrists. So I was just wondering if you could, uh, or if anyone, maybe Jim could talk about it. Jim probably is an expert in Antichrists. He studied all about it. I don't know. Not so many. I had to pick yeah. on Jim because he hasn't said anything yet. Um, anyways, I just want to spend a minute on that because you, again, were in your sermon preach ahead. We're kind of like, I don't have enough time to talk about all these things. I yeah. think this is one of the things that you were talking about then too. So mm-hmm. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the text uh, led you to that from, I guess, the monsters. And you said the fourth monster, Roman mm-hmm. Empire plus... Um, and that would include Antichrist. And uh, then you mentioned the New Testament text, which is what, John? First John? Yeah, for, first, first John, John 2. 2. Yeah, first John yeah. 2, mentioning that there will be many Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, any thoughts on Antichrist? Or singular? <laughs> yeah, I think the... The point I was trying to make is no matter who the Antichrist is or how many there are, that the main point still stands that God wins, you know. So that's kind of the big the big idea is there is mm-hmm. comfort and encouragement here because God wins. Um, I do actually think there there is one Antichrist, and I think Scripture is pretty clear about that. But I think, as John says, but there's this whole spirit of Antichrist-ness that exists, and there are many who are anti, you know, so it's like, I think John is saying, yeah, actually naming the specific character is not that important. He's kind of affirming that um, we've got a whole world that's antichrist. And so that's the, uh, I think the, the, the edge we have to walk of reading scripture and saying, I have to see myself as the bad guy in scripture, but also 
for hurting people or persecuted people, recognizing, but scripture really does speak to hurting people and say, there are bad guys out there hurting you, you know, and, and there's something for scripture to say about that, that God will just defeat evil and, and stop your persecutor someday. So that there is real comfort there. But then Christians generally have to take this extra step of saying, and how do I become the bad guy? You know, like, God forbid that I would then persecute others. Like, what, is it, what does it mean for me to become a person that makes a difference in this world and does not become a bad guy myself? So. Hmm. Is it Nikolai Karpathia? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I that name. Yeah, I read that Did that bring any? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, the thing I was going to say is that we, at least my background has been oriented to figuring out all the details. What does this mean? And what does that mean? And, you know, and so people get lost in the reading the headlines in the newspaper and trying to compare it to what's in the apocalyptic literature. And, mm -hmm. and I really love the way you put it together, Dave, so that we see that here's the end and here's Jesus in the midst of this. And, and here's how he's described through this literature showing that that is going to be the end game. And I think that really helps that we, we don't get lost just trying to figure out, well, who did this and who did that and what does this mean? Because yeah. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah, I think people give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After a while of doing that, they finally say, mm -hmm. nobody can figure this out. So I'm just not yeah. going to read this anymore. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, and so for people watching the podcast, it's been a, maybe an extreme that Bible-believing Christians have gone to over the last 30 years is being too caught up in that stuff. And there's been a lot, there's been like these popular movies. I think Joey was making reference to the Left Behind books or movies. So they were kind of made into kind of adventure novel, pulp fiction kind of stuff where they were, you know, exciting books to read about the end of the world. And, and they were generally evangelical, you know, Jesus wins and trust God and his Bible, but they filled in so many details, you know, that that, that could be distracting from the, from the main ideas, you know, like, cause we don't really know all the details. It's like, maybe, maybe they were right about some of those details, but they were filling in a lot of them too, using poetic license. You know? Yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What the, what's interesting to me now, having grown up in that, there's a funny overreaction now where uh, there's a particular end times view called amillennialism, which has been around for a long time. Church, A lot of church mm -hmm. fathers like Augustine had this view, <clears throat> which basically is kind of the other extreme. It's like reducing it down to just Jesus returns, that's it. I don't care about the detail. You know, it's kind of a, mm -hmm. I think, sometimes an over-reduction. And so I think we have to be careful that I have a kind of an opinion or, I don't know, a theory of church history that we're basically always swinging on a pendulum between two extremes. And it's kind of helpful to say, where are we? You know, where are we in America? Oh, we're obsessed with money and wealth. Okay, that, that that's going to affect how we read the scripture. And, you know, where have we been? Well, the evangelical church has been, maybe at the height in the 90s, it was all about, you know, guessing all the details of the end times, very dispensational, very premillennial, very, you know, left behind is kind of the mark of that. But now, 20 years later, 30 years, you know, we're kind of, I think, the ministers and young theology students are starting to overreact the other way. 
And, oh, we don't care about that. We don't want to be like those extremists that worry too much about the details. We just don't even care. We're not going to read apocalyptic. We're not going to interpret the details. You know, and you're like, that's that's actually a swing back the other way of leaving out a big part of our Bibles. You know, like we, we should decipher some of these codes and riddles. You know, we should study it. So. Well, the last thing I have for introduction is lizard brain. Mm-hmm. I have a lizard brain. <laughs> Someone that- asked me, actually, a counselor asked me, like, Dave, you don't actually believe in the lizard brain theory, do you? <laughs> I was like, well, I was glad you brought it up. I, I was not saying that biologists are right or that their evolutionary theory is exactly right on this. My point was really, isn't that ironic that, that people that often don't believe the scripture? use this language to describe our sinful reactions. They're trying to like nail it down to brain science, which I think the brain science is fuzzy on this, but they call it the lizard brain, the primitive, or we would say sinful part of your brain. They call it the lizard brain. I'm like, huh, that's kind of funny because the Bible story is, you know, when we sin, we're following in the footsteps of that first lizard, you know, the serpent. So I think I was just kind of pointing out the uh, poetic irony of it all i like it because uh calling satan a lizard is like smack feels like smack talk (laughs) (laughs) that old lizard lizard. (laughs) yep a beast a monster that's all you got about lizard brain huh (laughs) that's all anybody else anything about lizard brain okay (laughs) on to the points yeah, All right. 20 minutes into it, just like your sermon. Look at us. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, main points. Your points were God is judge, Jesus is the answer, humanity is being renewed, and the dogs and children agree. All right, tell us about your main point. God is judge, point one, from verse uh, 9 to 12. Yeah. Um, well... The monsters come first. That was what I read in the introduction part. Got monsters, and then the vision switches, and he's now in a heavenly court, and he sees the Ancient of Days. He sees God sitting on a throne as judge with fire coming out. And so, kind of like Chris and Kendrick were saying, there's this, like, lived body artistic experience. You know, you can't understand completely without having some artistic explanation and interpretation from the prophet, from the angel that was standing there with Daniel. But... There's the scene of monsters, the sea, the roiling chaos, all the oppression and the hurt we go through with bad leaders and unjust systems. And then the scene switches to, and now there's this judge on the throne and fire shoots out and he is perfectly wise. He's the ancient of days. He's the oldest of the old, the cleanest of the clean, the wisest of the wise, the purest of the pure. That's what all the symbolism is. You know, he's got white hair. He's got clean clothes. He's got fire shooting out of his throne. Um, and and then he destroys that beast. You know, the, the worst of the beasts is just destroyed before his throne. And so I think the big picture is, hey, yeah, you we're all acquainted with the monsters, right? Like we all get that this world is nuts and we're hurt by people and everything's bonkers. But we've got to have the eyes of faith to see the revealing of God. God is on the throne. He is the judge that will ultimately judge evil. And that that should be reassuring to us. That's good. Chris? 
on the artsy side of things, I was just thinking again, following up on the apocalyptic side, I was just thinking, man, you know, this is a culture that has no TV and, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, and no mm-hmm. movies. And so it's weird that we've sort of outsourced our imagination to would <laughs> they do all the work for us and mm-hmm. so so then this is that like when you when you all you have and you're you're used to imagining these things uh just how vivid it would have been for them we, we pretty atrophied uh imaginations really when it comes to reading something and <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah i know that's really beside the up. point <laughs> it really shows up when you go back and look at movies you watched 20 years ago and you go, oh, that is so lame, <laughs> because we have because what they've been able to do is mm. you know do stuff that we think is better. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So to the point, there is there is deep hope. I don't know what what else to say content wise, but yeah, I, I was just thinking about that again as I re- as we're receiving it. Like this type of a thing could have been like a like a a song in their heads, right? To, to, to people who are suffering, remembering, no, this is who our God is. This, this, like you said, the oldest of the old and the purest of the pure, the wisest of the wise. Like, what a, what a cool thing to cling to. Mm. Yeah. I was also thinking how in the ancient world, because they didn't have TV, and like you're saying, because their minds weren't filled with these alternate images, they they meditated. They had they had an imaginative uh, visual brain. I don't know how to say this. You know, like I think it was much more normal for them to have daydreams and and imagine things on their own. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's something I think we're losing the ability to do, you know, like, uh, uh, to to me, this is why it's really important. Like read to your kids, you know, (laughs) it's like becoming a lost Mm. art for us to hear information into our brains and then imagine what it looks like. Or so, you know, like I think screens are kind of ruining our brains in a lot of ways. Um, and so I would say that's, that's a part of all that's going on here. That's a part of how this ministers to, God's people in a special way that maybe we don't understand because we're not we don't we don't hunger for it the same way or or understand it in the same way. Hmm. Yeah, part I of am, me feels uh, like so you, oh, my battery's not charging. So if I disappear, I will try to log back on. Sorry, take off the magnet, Dave. Okay, cool. I'm saying, yeah. I can't even find the uh, USB seven thousand plug now. <laughs> Jim has one for you. What were you saying, Joey? I don't know. Uh, I don't <laughs> actually didn't know what I was going to say. I was going to say that it feels to me like part of apocalyptic literature is that you cannot feel hope without feeling the brokenness first, right? Like, mm. if we can't feel our need for a Savior, you know, if we don't see how bad our sin is, like, it's that same idea, at least to me. Um, say Andrew Peterson song. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. You feel the world is broken. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. you don't really have hope if you don't feel and see the brokenness. You can't really uh, trust in God or fear God if you don't have other yeah. 
mm-hmm. interest. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. We we did a we had a little group for Christian artists a couple of summers ago. <coughs> Kendrick and Chris were part of that. We were reading a book. I think it was called For the Beauty of the Church. Does that sound right? Is that what it's called? I think so. It was about like art, Christians in the church. It was just a series of essays. Great book because you kind of get different perspectives from different Christian artists of variety. You know, we agreed probably more and less with different different chapters. But um, they talked about how that's that's like a unique skill that art brings to the table is that, that doorway to lament and pain. Um, that's something that artists kind of intuitively do. Which is part of why, you know, the rest of us in the world tend to tease artists for being emotional or mopey or negative, but that's actually one of their superpowers. You know, like that's a, that's a gift that God has given artists typically is to, there you go, <laughs> is to like say, hey, there's something broken or hey, there's something painful or this is hurting, you know, like here are these people that are hurting and kind of opening our eyes to that. And I think that's a part of what Apocalyptic is doing as well. And, um and those two things go together. And, you know, so bigger worldview as Christians, we say, we don't just say God is judge and he wins the end. We say, man, this, this world is broken. You know, the Peterson song, we are hurting. The monsters are prevailing. What do we do about it? You know, and it sets it in a whole drama that uh, helps us to then hope in God as the solution. Well, I think one of the, <clears throat> it's an interesting gospel pattern to when you t- you're talking about justice and mm-hmm. uh, you know you unpacked a little bit about we we are uh, suspicious of judges because we we, we see unjust judges but mm-hmm. I, it was it was actually fascinating during the evening service I believe during the the prayer of confession um, I was just kind of walking through this in my head and it um, I think it really mas- matches the passage so you see monsters and beasts and chaos and craziness going on and you kind of the question is who will do anything about this who could mm-hmm. ever do anything about this and then you switch to the throne room and you say oh god's there okay mm-hmm. he's gonna answer every evil but it's interesting because mm-hmm. that's not so so that's the first that's one of the first steps you can have is like oh there is anybody at all who is gonna answer this for mm-hmm. for for the evil that I see out there, but then you say, so f- he's going to answer every evil. But then, as Christians, we say, uh oh, he's going to a- answer every evil. <laughs> like, uh oh, I'm Uh-oh. part of, I, you know, I'm part of that, <laughs> including uh, you know, I would yeah. like a beast, you know, and yeah. and so that, and then, so like as I was tr- like kind of every time we're doing the prayer of confession, I'm trying to like mm. try to bring in different flavors, and it was it ended up being that. God, we know you are. You have the final say for everything is wrong, mm-hmm. but somehow your final say for us is grace, right? Like, mm-hmm. and this amazing, like, yeah, just once again, we, we should be burned with the beasts, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But but mm-hmm. you you allowed Jesus to be put in our place. So I don't know. Just that mm-hmm. that's kind of another flavor of walking through that. Uh, who will answer that? Well, for one thing, we have to believe God really will answer that. And that does two things that that gives us say he's our only hope for an answer to evil outside. And then we marvel at grace for us and say, you know, once again, we don't deserve it. We, we acted just the same as the, as the beast that, you know. Yeah. That's, I think, uh, Chris was saying, uh, 
Dave, my favorite word for the sermon was the smelting. Smelting. Uh, <laughs> so that kind of, I guess that word is what Chris just really broke down, but it, it makes me think what he was saying, uh, how you were saying with the whack a mm. Um There's this evil and we're all pressed to, to sort of kind of do something about it or figure it out. And mm. even for skeptics, one of their things is like... Uh, their reasons for rejecting Christ, a big reason is evil that's present mm. in the world yeah. and God not being a just judge and, mm-hmm. and handling the evil. But I think uh, uh, us realizing that God will answer this evil, uh, like Chris was saying, once and for all, finally, uh, I think the there's sort of this beauty in this is mm. uh, we see God having this sort of... Uh, thing where he allows evil trying to be careful here uh to be present in the world but Mm -hmm. to christians this loud this obvious reminder that uh i trump this i am i am stronger bigger powerful than evil and and all Mm -hmm. of it will be answered uh sunday story time sunday after the sermon i'm at uh i go home my wife her mom sister are in the kitchen cooking and they're talking about what movie they're getting ready to watch. Mm -hmm. So my nephew comes in there with me and her dad and he's like, I don't know if I want to watch that movie. It sounds sort of scary. It was a, it wasn't a scary movie. It was like a suspenseful Mm. police crime movie. Mm. And uh, he said, it sounds kind of scary because I don't really like when, for one, I don't really like when the bad guys win. I don't really like monsters. And I was like, mm. the Bible talks about monsters in my, in my attempt to kind of uh, mm-hmm. console him. And he was like, does it? I was like, dude, yeah, it talks about like lions and beasts with wings and mm-hmm. plucked feathers on two feet. And he's like, that sounds like a scary chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, do you think... I was like, well, okay, do you think God is 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 powerful enough to defeat, like, beast? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, what about a scary chicken? He was like, <laughs> dude, I don't know. And I was like, man, listen, God is, is strong enough to defeat a scary chicken. He's going mm-hmm. to also judge that scary chicken. Uh, mm-hmm. God is, is, is just and, and any evil in the world. He is the ultimate say. He is the ultimate judge on that. And I think the Bible is so good because uh, without being too, I guess, uh, uh, condensing, how was the mm-hmm. word I'm looking for? God wins in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's sort of what this is as well. He wins in the end. And that's kind of what I told him. It's just that movie that you may be scared to watch. The bad guy may win, but not in the story, not in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Word. I love, yeah, I love, that's really helped me too in dealing with scripture, not dealing with scripture and dealing with stories out in the world. Because for a while I didn't, I didn't want to watch any movies that were sad or any movies that had a, a postmodern, you know, bad ending, bad guys win, you know, anti-hero movie. I just couldn't handle it when I was younger. I absolutely couldn't handle it. And the interesting thing is, as I've grown in scripture, it actually makes it easier for me to enjoy stories that don't have a happy ending. Cause I'm like, well, that's how my, that's how a lot of my weeks are. But I know 
in the end, you know, yeah. with God eternally, it's a happy ending. But these movies, these stories with sad endings kind of reflect, yeah, sometimes that's how my, my day is, that's how my week is, that's how my month is, but um, but there's an ultimate happy ending. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Wrestling through that has been, that's been a change in me. Just as I've grown in my faith, you know, not to recommend that we need to go out and watch so many sad movies or whatever, but just in my own faith, I've seen that. As I've grown in my faith, I actually have a higher tolerance for sad books and sad movies. What? And I think there's there's an important, like you said, di- like this sort of digesting of of secular stories. And I, I think it's so important for our worldview to hold on to. We see this really clear thing in scripture, right, mm. of clear evil and clear good, right? There's no question of like, there's this judge guy and he might be good and he might be bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, he made a mistake. Oh, well, you know, mm-hmm. is he a monster or is he not? And that's, it's so it's fascinating. Like there's this beautiful light and darkness that from a Chris, Christian worldview. So we, we believe that's ultimately the state of things. We know we're, we have a trouble <laughs> wading through it down here on earth, but I see like more and more modern art. Like you, you wonder about why is there, why are there so more, so many more stories and movies where, where the bad guy wins, you know? And on one hand, you're like, oh yeah, interesting and surprising. But on the other hand, I, I think there may be this, this deep undercurrent of, we realize we're the bad guy. And so mm-hmm. if the bad guy can never win, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like who yeah. are we relating with both that and the, the whole, like the flawed hero movement. You see, like there's almost no superhero who's, who's actually just, he's just good. He's just, you know, he just does stuff right. And he's a stand up guy, you know, like almost Superman is like looked at the way that he used to be portrayed. Cause he would just always do the right thing. And there was no, wrestling and you know it does make a more interesting story now the newer versions of you know wrestling with the inner demons and and mistakes and stuff because again that's what we resonate with we are like that but we have to always remember we're not the hero (laughs) like again so you know just parsing through that from like okay what is the christian worldview and what is the earthly worldview and and why do I love these things? And when is it a temptation to make God more human when I need to watch out for that and to say, no, the ultimate hero, there is, he's just purely good. There's no, <laughs> there's yeah. no secret plot. There's no surprise. It's just other than he's so good at surprising, you know, um, yeah. we can't, we've never encountered anything like that. So does that make sense? Like just this, oh, yeah. this well, wrestling. It's interesting. Like, Again, I think there's a pendulum there that we swing to and even how we teach the Bible um, because Bible characters are, are clearly wrestling with inner demons, you know, so there, there yeah, is no perfect point. hero in the Bible except for Jesus. Daniel is probably the closest. I'd say Joseph is a, is a second closest. Mm-hmm. Those are the two characters, probably the only two Old Testament characters that just don't have any obvious flaws, you know. Um, and even Joseph has some, you know, <laughs> probable flaws that it's, it's a little fuzzier. <laughs> Daniel, there's no obvious flaws. Uh but everybody else, flaw after flaw. You know, I mean, the story is, is one story of a failed leader after another, which, to your point, Chris, shows us that, no, God is the real hero. We're not the real heroes. But there's also this extreme I've noticed in Bible teaching that we can go to, again, where we almost like glory in failure, you know, like this kind of messy Christianity 
broken people thing that's just like loving it and glorying in it instead of saying, here are godly examples. Go live like that guy. You know, more of the Proverbs model. That's what righteousness looks like. Go live like that guy. That's righteous, you know. Um, and I think the Bible portrays both sides of that. You know, I mean, that that's important. You know, good role models are important. Um, even though, yes, we're all broken and we need Jesus. And so that's, uh, I think, just another funny pendulum that I've seen people swing to in their spiritual lives. All that on God as judge. Well, that was really, fun. that's Jesus' the answer to let's not kid <laughs> ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah. cover most of it. It's all tied together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're following the example of Rebel Leader One and combining <laughs> points. Good job, Jim. Oh, Rebel Leader One. Red Leader, Red Leader. Right. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, I was looking through my notes for Jesus' the answer at the same time, and really, we covered most of the things that mm-hmm. are in both of them. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else for Jesus' the answer, which was the second point. But Coming on the clouds, do you think the oh, yeah. Jewish leaders saw that? When he was resurrected, or do you think nobody will see that until he physically comes on the clouds? What do you think? Both. Both. And. <laughs> you listened Both to my and. sermon. Good answer. You guys always want to have your cake and eat it. Because, <laughs> I mean, scholars do go to one side or the other. You know, some people are like, nope, it just means future. And others say, nope, it really was just the resurrection. Hmm. Well, it is one of those those conundrums of the Bible that mm-hmm. so many prophecies were fulfilled or partially fulfilled and mm-hmm. yet to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for our minds to understand and get wrapped around that in some way so we can say, oh, that really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, the pattern of how do you qualify a prophet? Well, you qualify a prophet by there being an immediate fulfillment. Then you know he's a prophet worth listening to. And then you're looking for his, you know, once his immediate fulfillment has been like, oh, he's trustworthy, then you're going to trust his 2,000-year mm-hmm. or 5,000-year fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Someone said in small group, and I, I agreed, I don't, I don't think I'd ever heard anyone directly tie these two passages together, the, the Jesus um, mm-hmm. when he's on trial saying and you will see the son of man seated the right hand power coming on the clouds that was that was pretty that was pretty powerful that was good stuff i made sure to sing that weird coming on the cloud song because <laughs> it was a great example of everything we've been talking about like i've resisted that song in the past because it was like such a weird thing to just start out with <laughs> like um but yeah, yeah, it was like it perfectly ties in. <laughs> so, yeah. but anyway, that was that was pretty epic when you were saying, yeah, I'd never really just soaked in that moment of Jesus saying, "You will see me coming on the clouds." Dun, dun, yeah. dun. They're like, they know what he's like. Whoa, what did he just say? They were like, Explosions. Kill him. I mean, that yeah. was a yeah, yeah, that was a that was a True. big time trigger yeah. for them. Man. Yeah, I, it was. Yeah, it just wasn't such a. <laughs> literal connection you know before mm-hmm. it was like oh yeah he's kind of saying i'm a big deal but it was like yeah directly tied to this super mm-hmm. important passage that was awesome mm-hmm. i loved it mm.
Okay, third point. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean the yeah. You just we spent so much time talking about Jesus being the answer in the Jesus and the Judge section, but I, I seriously, I'm reading my notes and I don't have anything else. Cool. So much time was spent on the juxtaposition of the just and the justifier. Mm. Well, actually, Dave, can you say some more about the point where you said? Satan has been defeated. All we mm. have to do is resist. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I thought that was yeah. really, really helpful. Some people, I've heard some scholar, and I didn't use this phrase, but this would have been good for the monster concept. Some people say he, it's like he's been defanged, or mm-hmm. it's like he's a dog on a leash. You know, like you walk mm-hmm. by a yard and the scary dog is coming at you, but he's on a chain. Um, that's how some people have described it. So there's like an ultimate defeat, even though Satan is allowed to still wreak havoc, you know, like he still has some mm-hmm. kind of jurisdiction and that's, that's confusing for us. You know, it goes, goes back to a lot of the stuff we walk by faith is, is already, but not yet. You know, we're already seated mm-hmm. at, at, uh, at Jesus is, um, with Jesus in heaven, Colossians 3.10. I'm trying to think of the exact phrase, but we're, you know, we're already with Jesus in heaven somehow by faith. Like we're mm-hmm. in our Father's arms of love, yet we're still living out in this broken world of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the phrase from James is submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so there's mm-hmm. just this sense of simple resistance like no devil i'm not following you i trust jesus this is what jesus did for me that's really all it takes and we can sometimes get caught up with our horror movies of you know worrying about all kinds of extra layers of evil or incantations or you know or having the right magical spiritual words to resist the devil no we just we just resist him like nope i belong to jesus that's it that satisfy you, Jim? Is that good enough answer? I feel, I feel so much better that you let me say something at the end of that. <laughs> good. good. All right. Final point. Humanity is being uh, renewed. I almost said restored. I guess that counts. Yeah, I messed that up. I turned in restored for the slides, but I wrote renewed in my notes. So then while I was actually preaching it, I was like, wait. My oh, brain was for That's why my brain went both ways. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as dumb so, as I think I am. Yeah. I went with renewed at the last minute because that's the word used in Colossians 3.10. So I was like, ah, oh, that, that ties in because I'm really trying to connect the two. Colossians 3.10 is a, is a beautiful retelling of this section. Well, for this section, I have like three notes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure where they fall into everything. So mm-hmm. I can start mm-hmm. if nobody has anything else. Go Do for it. it. All right. My first note is you said something like, we will be defeated, but we will have final dominion. Mm-hmm. I think you were talking like around when you were reading the text, probably when you were reading mm-hmm. Daniel 7, mm-hmm. one of your mm-hmm. like little commentary portions. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what that was about, but I wrote that down. Mm-hmm. So verse 21 says, the horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. But then verse 22 says, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So there will be a prevailing of evil 
Antichrist, we could just say forces of, of evil in general. We know that to be true through human experience in the history of the church. Evil has prevailed against Christians, but you know the way the Revelation would say it is, um, the martyrs are actually the victorious ones. They are the ones who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, and they are in heaven. They are resurrected. You know, so Christians would say eternal life is the ultimate win. That's the ultimate victory. And so there is an experience of defeat we will have in this life. You know, some of us are going to go down by by cancer, by murder, by getting hit by a bus. So there's a sense in which this broken world will defeat us. But by the power of the resurrection, you know, we will prevail. Um, and so there's another phrase where he said, oh yeah, verse 25, he said, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and change the laws and the times and the seasons. But then verse 27 comes back around. But the kingdom and the dominion, the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints, the Most High. So there's this battle back and forth, and that's where it ends with Daniel being like, man, this, this overwhelmed me. You know, this broke my heart. And commentators, again and again, I would not have picked this up, except all the smart commentators that read ancient Mesopotamian and stuff, they were commenting on this, and they were like, that's, that's Daniel being brokenhearted over this hurt that he sees in the history of God's people. Like Daniel is, because otherwise he'd just be encouraged, right? Otherwise he'd just be like, God wins, yay, cool vision, God wins. But he's like kind of heartbroken because he sees visions of years of God's people being prevailed against or being worn out, verse 25, you know, so... Daniel gets a vision of real pain that we go through in this process. Um, so I was trying to say, you know what? Pain is is the process, but God is renewing us, renewing our humanity through this process as we follow Jesus through death and resurrection. There's actual real renewal and real purpose to what's happening. Everybody just nodding heads. Oops, good. <laughs> it's good. Chewing on it. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. And you talked about the fairy tale of everything uh, being renewed and restored, right? And yeah. role being, um, being what kings we're and queens. For. Yeah, kings and queens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, if Kendrick could speak to this at all, but I, I've just read a lot of articles and talked to a lot of friends that have said that the Black Panther movie was a big breakthrough because in our culture blacks have not had a lot of stories of victory and so the black panther movie was the story of victory and kingship and heroism and so kind of a like a lot of whites geek out on these kind of like mythology tales like i don't know narnia or the lord of the ring you know what i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of options out there for cool fairy tales that are very uh, white centered but black panther was kind of especially exciting for a lot of my black friends because that kind of king and queen mythology was brought to the black community in America. And I was trying to say, we all long for that. Like we all want that in our stories and we get that in the gospel in an ultimate sense. But I don't know. Do you think I was onto some Kendrick? Was I like way off or did that make sense? No, it did make sense. I think, uh, the, uh, the comment of the culture is like, even when, uh, like, Black people have been in this way, had movies made about them. Mm -hmm. And so I was watching a movie the other day, I think it was Free State of Jones, where 
they were uh, this guy helped them to uh, escape bondage, mm-hmm. escape slavery, but they weren't the ones that was helping one another. It was like there's this other savior that came to help them. And then, like mm-hmm. you said, this movie was a depiction of, okay, we are the ones who did this, who built that, but our king looks like us. He represents mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. think without trying to idolize that, it's pretty cool. You said we get that in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, even with Jesus, our, our king, he came in the flesh. Uh, he dwelled among us and, and mm-hmm. he rules uh, at the right hand of the father, Colossians. Mm-hmm. So it, it that was the the kind of the scope of, of what that movie meant. Uh, I think it was a, a shift from, yes, we, we have been delivered from oppression but there's always someone else like this white savior is what it's called that comes and gets us out but in this movie we're the ones that are the king we're the ones that are powerful and we built this famous city on our own Mm. yeah i think it goes back to that just artistic imagination which is part of what's so cool about apocalyptic it's it's talking to the the kind of visual imagination um and so that's part of what we love in stories, kind of seeing ourselves in a story or being able to see the world in a new light. Um, and that's what I was trying to say is, is actually real. You know, the real fairy tale, um, people take issue with that, right? Like there's, it's like, well, fairy tale always means it's not true. Well, you know, there's a sense in which it's like a tale of wonder, but in the gospel, it's actually a real one. You know, <laughs> it's still a tale of wonder, like a fairy tale or a superhero movie or a mythology but it's a real one. It's a true one. And so these stories from literature and comic books and fairy tales we love because it helps us kind of see our lives in a new perspective. But in Christianity, that, that's, what, that's what God is actually doing. Like he is actually making us into these superheroes, kings, queens. That was his original plan. That was the Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28 plan was human beings will rule and reign have dominion and and project this glorious image of God. That's what we were made for. And then we traded it all for sin and we end up being the monsters and the bad guys. Man, it makes me think of uh, when you were talking, Kendrick, it made me think of the, the talk of like, like Abraham and, and being us being grafted into this. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know that that just awoke my imagination a little bit about like, basically we've been grafted into this family and we now really do have like Royal blood flowing in our veins. Like yeah. that, that's a, I can think that's a storyline we hear a lot or see a lot is like, mm-hmm. there's this secret people that have the, the Royal blood in their veins and they're, they may be, you know, held down now, but one day the kingdom will return. And, you know, that's, yeah, all of that. That's so cool. And, and I, yeah, I hadn't gotten to really ponder that from the, the Black Panther side of things, but that's so huge, like, to think, mm-hmm. ha- yeah, have that new story written. That's that's awesome. And to mm-hmm. tie that into even better, right, into Christianity, that it's not just owned by one culture. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's a it's a new people and a new, mm-hmm. new creation. That's awesome. It's good stuff. And so that affects our calling. I think, you know, you can look at like in Colossians and it unfolds and it says, so therefore flee sexual immorality. So you can, you can look at morality or, you know, it says flee anger, free malice, stop talking smack. You know, it has a whole list of, of righteous things we're supposed to do. There's one way of looking at Christianity that's like, God said, don't do it. So don't do it. You know, <laughs> like that's one way. And that's, that's fair. God gets to tell us not to do stuff. But there's also this different way of like, 
a vision. You know, God has a vision for your life and your vision, the vision for your life is to be this this superhero, this king, this queen. Like that's the vision. And so what that involves is putting away this beast behavior, putting away this immorality, putting away this malice and slander, stop lying to yourself. You know, the whole list in Colossians really grows out of the vision of, no, God has this renewed humanity purpose for you, this awesome, big, glorious purpose for us as humans. And so I think that's a different mindset for stepping into righteous living, you know, um, different than just kind of don't do it, but it's more of a like, oh, God has something glorious and wonderful for me. Mm. Mm. and then if we've been raised with christ we're called to love and to have compassion right Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the next flow from that i guess yeah we serve others in love compassion kindness humility meekness patience bearing with one another that all flows out of our our superhero identity in christ (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Again, also another <laughs> thing that I was thinking, like the origin story, like go, mm. we're just not going far enough back to, to the nobility we have, right? Mm. Like we come from a perfect God. He's the one who made us. We were given his image. Like you said, mm-hmm. it needs to be renewed. And the, so then you have this, and then later Jesus came to show us, no, this is where you come from. This is, mm. wh- I'm going to show you how you were supposed to live all along. And so we have this, really clear example of yeah this nobility that should should we all we all possess through jesus you know and where we actually came from we didn't just come from <laughs> lizards <laughs> right? we, we came from the most noble of sources and that shows us how we were supposed to live that's so that's so beautiful mm. yeah it's interesting there's always a kind of fall from grace in all the superhero stories you know which yeah. the, or the good super story, superhero story, right? There's the, <laughs> it's either they're either an orphan or they're like a wandering son. They're either a prodigal or an orphan. It seems like, right? Mm-hmm. Like Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, they're orphans. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got like Wonder Woman, Thor, Iron Man, Black Panther, even there's a kind of fall from the throne mm-hmm. and they have to kind of, there's gotta be a quest back to their, their place. So either way, there's a type of, yeah, but Fallen what about Ant-Man? He's just a rebel. Yeah, man, he got thrown in jail, dude. <laughs> well, the, the tricky thing is, too, yeah. you watch... I mean, I'm just summarizing in my brain mm-hmm. right now, but, like, mm-hmm. a lot of them try to say, well, where's... Uh, but I've, I, re, I re, like, return to this goodness that was just in my heart or something. Mm-hmm. Some of them do have, like, no, I had a... Mm-hmm. Like I just watched the Superman, whichever the latest of the thousand Supermans is, but he had his dad kind of, mm-hmm. his parents were sort of telling him about nobility. Yeah. So you either have like, okay, I had a role model or a lot of them don't. It's just, oh, I just yeah. am inherently good and I just need to return back. Mm-hmm. But even that you have to say, where'd that goodness come from? Right? Yeah. Like that had to have a source. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's what our, that's what our call is to say, no, there is a source and it's not just look harder your heart it is mm-hmm. no there's there's righteousness out there from god and there's jesus as an example and it's not just mm-hmm. i have to rely upon my own innate 
goodness that's that's mm. hidden under there and i'm just not digging in deep enough it's like no no i i need a new heart I need, mm-hmm. but i know where those i know where those any good impulse may come from and i know how you know i have an mm. example and uh we have a mentor you know we have a father that's that's the beauty of of christianity and the christian superhero story i guess is we have we have something else out there and it's not just look deeper into your soul Mm. anyway this has gotten really awesomely nerdy some people are going to hate this episode some are going to love it (laughs) superhero jesus (laughs) yeah (laughs) cool uh uh i have two things one of them probably doesn't really fit we could uh i could make a joke about it later the last one was you ended by basically saying of course we're going to be afraid of the monsters but Mm -hmm. we need to be more afraid of the ultimate dragon slayer that's what i wrote down i don't know if that's a direct quote but I, i guess i read my last note and thought huh we have been talking about being more afraid of but can you or anyone, I guess, can we work through what that fear looks like? Because it seems like to mm-hmm. say, don't fear the monsters, fear God, seems mm-hmm. a little odd, at face yeah. value at least. And I don't think we yeah, ever yeah. really talked about that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes me think, if I can switch to First uh, Corinthians, I think you had, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> that the swallowed up in victory, mm. grave where's your... Uh, uh, death where's your victory death mm-hmm. oh death where's your sting and it's like jesus defeated what the monsters often threaten us with uh ultimately which is like uh, either harm to our physical bodies or death mm-hmm. uh, when we think of monsters we think of uh this this thing of at least from my nephew with this uh, scary chicken it's like i don't want to mm-hmm. it to kill me i don't want it to die but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like the the scary chicken slayer has really <laughs> defeated the grave. I mean, mm-hmm. the ultimate thing that we fear mm-hmm. from these monsters, God has triumphed. That he has beat one the grave and defeated sin and death. So I think uh, that is the, uh, in my mind, an ultimate reason for us to have more fear in the in the dragon slayer, like Joey was saying, mm-hmm. than in these monsters. Is because he has defeated the one thing that they dangle over us. Or, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Uh, try to scare us with, and that's death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, choices we make. We all do things we don't want to do. And what does that really mean existentially? That means we don't want the other option more. You know what I mean? And so I guess that's what I was trying to set up that difference with fear. We've, we're told to fear God, and that's hard for us to make sense of because we talk so much about the love of God and the grace of God. But we are commanded to fear God. It's right and proper to fear God, and to fear Him is, is like the ultimate power in the universe. And so I think we fear God by grace. I think we fear God seeing that He actually loves us. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a sense in which... I was thinking about that little boy that stepped in front of his sister. He was like, run home. Of course he feared the dog. Like, nobody wants to get their face chewed off, you know? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody wants that. Yeah. Of course he feared that. But he feared seeing his sister 
get torn up more, you know? And I think, I think that gets at it a little bit, you know? Um, I don't know. I've struggled over the years. I've been preaching for a lot of years to actually unpack the fear of God. It's a huge, you know, it's a huge well of truth. And I think somehow the fear of God is coexistent with trusting in God's love and grace. Because the Bible puts those two things together and just doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit with any other person in our universe except for God. God's the one that's like, oh, okay, fear and love and grace goes together. You know, <laughs> it's, that's just like a hard thing to make sense of. Mm. I thought I was just actually looking up the definitions of fear because, and so you have, well, whatever dictionary this I'm looking at right now. <laughs> uh, so we have like four definitions. One, a very unpleasant or disturbing feeling caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Mm. Two, a feeling of disquiet or apprehension. Three, a reason for dread or apprehension. Mm. And then four, extreme reverence or awe as toward a deity. And mm. I guess that was the thought I had as I was looking at that was, isn't it interesting that God's the fear of God is distinct, is different, is mm-hmm. holy, right? It's a, it's different than every other kind of fear. Mm-hmm. It's it's sort of, yeah, like it says, Even the dictionary reverence. recognizes that, like, oh, we've got another <laughs> yeah. entry for fearing God. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, just as mm. God is unlike any other thing we've ever mm-hmm. experienced, the fear yeah. of God is different than any other fear we've experienced. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, it, it bears conversation but like Kendrick was saying what I came to mind for me was it's like let's we're gonna have a cage fight (laughs) between any other thing and God and that that's kind of what we're saying is I recognize his strength is is scarier than any of their Mm. strength like if yeah we've lost that a lot and we I think still sometimes we have that with dads kids and dads and saying my dad can beat up your dad you know but what they're really <laughs> saying is I know this man has power and that power mm. is greater than any other mm. power that, that, that could come mm-hmm. against me and so I'm willing to pit him against anyone you want to throw at him like and I think mm-hmm. that's more what we're saying and it, yeah the word fear gets kind of murky but that's because Fear of God mm-hmm. is a distinctly different thing than fear of anything else. Hmm. It's like those, uh, my kid can beat up your honor roll student bumper stickers. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Yep, yep. Mm. Uh, any other thoughts before I ruin this? It's good stuff. All right, well, thanks for tuning in. This has been Sunday Recap. And we will see you next week.